1: Welcome back to the Rugby League Digest. This is a solo episode with Andrew Paskin, and I'm joined by a very special guest, Melissa Hoffman. How are you going?
0: I'm well. Thanks for having me.
1: Our pleasure. Now, you have a wonderful book to promote, so let's get that out of the way first, and then we'll talk about it in more detail. What is your book?
0: So it's Full Credit to the Boys, A Cliche-Free Tale of Marrying Into Footy, is the title.
1: (laughs) Classic. Uh, Now, you must have heard that cliche one million times watching football games for that many years.
0: <laughs> oh, that one and all the others over and over and over <laughs> and even sometimes in my own house. So.
1: <laughs> well, uh, this sounds really, really interesting. I can't wait to read it because this is the sort of thing that Michael and I talk about all the time, particularly uh, you know, in our personal life, because rugby league players can be the funniest people ever um, at times.
0: They can. Yeah, There's, there's definitely... An industry full of characters, isn't it? And I I was very keen to, in writing the book, investigate that more human side of all the people in our community. And from my perspective, which is, you know, I'm I'm a Melbourne girl and I didn't know a lot about rugby league when I met Hoff. So the human side of rugby league is really all I can engage on with any confidence.
1: (laughs) Do you actually call him Hoff, not Ryan?
0: It depends, a bit of both, Um, but he always played with multiple Ryans and so, and there often was multiple Mel's in the partner set as well. So from even before we were married, I was Mel Hoff and it was just easier (laughs) (laughs) to revert himself.
1: (laughs) Well, um, we should say that uh, your partner is Ryan Hoffman, the Melbourne Storm uh, Wigan Warriors and Auckland Warriors legend. Now this That's is quite special for me because my late mom, my my beloved mum he was one of her favourite players because she was a Storm fan so uh, oh. I'm very ha- happy to talk to you.
0: Oh well, it's my pleasure.
1: And I loved him too. I, I thought he was a really great player and um, probably looks like a um, a slightly tougher Daniel Craig as well.
0: Oh, I just can't tell him that you said that because <laughs> lots of people say that and he's just it's he's dining out on it every opportunity he can. <laughs>
1: So you're a Melbourne girl. So tell us about your growing up and background.
0: Well, I yeah, I am from Melbourne. And I, as I say in the book from the beginning, I was not a particularly sporty young lady. I'm still not. My family were mad Melbourne demons supporters, my dad in particular. So being from Melbourne, it's almost kind of um, a legal requirement to have an AFL team. So I did, but I certainly wasn't sports-minded. And, you know, my background, I I owned a dance school when I met Hoff, and I was very into local musical theatre. So the world of rugby league was quite a shock to my system.
1: I bet you it was. Uh, Now, the juxtaposition of AFL versus rugby league. Now, my auntie's down in Melbourne, in Canterbury down there, and so I'm down there a fair bit. And the passion for club football down there is just phenomenal. Yes. Like a religion compared to yes. the almost indifferent fans of rugby league. Did that come as a shock to the system? Yeah,
0: definitely. It came as a surprise to me. This doesn't sound good, but it came as a surprise to me that there were other codes because I hadn't really traveled a whole lot around Australia at that point. And to, you know, when I met Hoff, to actually try and get my head around the fact that you know, this is as legitimate a meta code as AFL and this is his full time job. It's not a hobby or anything like that. That that was quite a lot to get my head around.
1: And um You've got uniforms and everything.
0: Yeah, exactly. But I did find pretty early on, not being sports minded, I loved rugby league compared to AFL, partly, and I'm going to be honest, because it's a quicker game, so there's less of a time commitment. But I just found it easier to understand and, you know, being a bit sports illiterate. And comparing it to AFL, I did appreciate, I suppose, the simplicity of it.
1: I can't wait to read the book because having a partner's perspective on it, someone who didn't even care about the game, is going to be really interesting for me <laughs> and, and Michael and Alison. But uh, how did you actually meet Ryan? Like, uh, where do you meet a six-foot-four rugby league player in Melbourne?
0: <laughs> well... Um- Officially, the first time I met him, he I have a friend called Logs who was studying physiotherapy at university when we were quite young. and for her degree, she had to interview an athlete for one of her subjects. She was also working at the Melbourne Storm doing massage therapy. Um, so she approached a guy by the name of Billy Slater to see if he wouldn't mind being her interview subject for her assignment. Um, and then on the day she was meant to go to his house and interview him, she sort of called me and said, I I don't necessarily want to go and do this by myself. Do you mind coming with me for a bit of moral support? <laughs> so I went along with her and Hoff and Billy were housemates at the time. So we wandered in and Billy was already through his interview and Hoff was laid out on the futon watching a rocky marathon, enjoying a day <laughs> off that he frankly looked like he really needed. He was 19 at the time, so it would have been his first full-time Season of NRL level football. That one was um, good. Yeah, so we met literally in his living room, which we just sort of had a chat that day. And Loz and I invited both the boys out for milkshakes afterwards because that's what I'd been promised and that was really the only state that I had in the day, which they politely declined and carried on with their rocky marathon. But we ran into each other then later, um, again with my same friends out and about and, and then on that night sort of got chatting more and changed numbers and that sort of thing.
1: Awesome. That's a really good story. I mean, uh I was expecting it was gonna be like, you know, the top nightclub and they were throwing ice at the dance floor and you when you went up to and- <laughs> <laughs> you know, that type of thing, but uh, well, very sedate.
0: I talk about um dating origin stories in rugby league in the book a little bit because I find them really interesting because a lot of times, and I don't know if I'm imagining this, but from my perspective, we go out of our way to sort of avoid that narrative because there is this idea of um, women in nightclubs sort of looking out for football players and that sort of thing. So, I mean, mine wasn't that, but yeah, more often than not, I find it's not that.
1: Yeah, well, I uh, bring that up because that's the stereotype which we like Mm. to laugh at. And Mm. I I suppose it works for both ways. The question I was dying to ask you was how you feel about the scandals because I've seen you comment in the papers a few times negatively about the behavioural issues. And it is only a few people, spoiling a bunch, which is in any workplace of 600 people, you're going to have a couple of dipshits, right? Yeah. Um, But, I uh, I mean, how do you feel when you see them in the news, you know, carrying on?
0: I think. In my position, I can look at it through the lens of over the 16 years of Ryan's career, and now it's coming on 19, 20 years that I've been involved in the game overall, that there's enough of those sort of things that we have to ask the question is there a cultural problem, Um, regardless of what the outcome is of each sort of individual case? And my firm belief that it's our responsibility to do better. And what I'm really interested in is not how we deal with it once it's happened but how we can change the very sort of grassroots culture of rugby league to try to stop it happening. Um, and as you say, it's it's a small subset, but I think my perspective as a partner, and there's lots of women in rugby league, there's obviously women athletes, women fans, women employees, partners. But from my perspective and what the book really focuses on as well is the day-to-day things that happen that are just a little bit off. I think, for example, in my experience, there's so few women in football departments. There's lots in front offices, sponsorship, community membership, that sort of thing. But in the nuts and bolts, the gym um, on the field, that sort the of thing, there tends to be less. And that's an example of something that I think can't be helping because it's it's out of the norm, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, it seems like it's changing probably too slowly, but uh, even in American sports, I notice that more now there's more female coaching staff, that type of thing, and it seems to be happening a lot more in league as well uh, in the last five years maybe, but I I agree with you on that one. um, There's no reason why, especially with the women's game going so well now, that there won't be more integration. But Yeah, definitely. I like to stand up for the rugby league player as well in some respects because I grew up in Newcastle where me and my friends acted like football players, (laughs) you know drunk idiots basically and because we didn't have high-paying jobs no one cared mm-hmm. so i feel like these young, when they're young men you know 19 to 25 or something you know it's it's not that big a deal really but they get it's blown out of proportion a bit it's when you get into the old uh sexual assaults that you oh, probably yeah. want to uh have a good look at things but the funny thing about the culture is they've been trying to change the culture with junior education for about 20 years like some of those kids are now grandfathers like i mean <laughs> yeah. how how much can you give them to change the culture? Yeah,
0: and I think notoriously culture is such a difficult thing to change, isn't it? And look, I have a very few, small number of suggestions in the book, but um, speaking before about all the different types of women in league, I think we have to come at it from all angles, not just, you know, the suggestions that I have for making the game more women and family friendly, very much focused on my experience as a partner. But I think. Um, it's the junior grassroots sort of education is really good. And I've definitely noticed a strong push, especially since my own kids are of the age now that they can start to participate in rugby league to involve girls in the game. But I think, yeah, it, it needs to be more than that. It needs to be across all those different stakeholder groups. That And I think probably big changes as well, because as much as I understand what you're saying where these guys are young and it's very hard to probably take in stardom and all the perks that come with it as well as behave yourself all the time. But I also sort of look at at it as an opportunity because we do have all these typically younger guys all in the same place at the same time, governed by the same rules. There's not many places that you get that. And also these guys are role models whether they like it or not. So I like to think of it as an opportunity and not only for the benefit of everyone around them, but for theirs too. Because for me it's also about them developing an identity outside of their identity as a rugby league player. Because
1: Absolutely.
0: I find then, you know, and I've seen a lot of people retire and read about a lot of people retiring in If you don't believe that you've got value in yourself other than what you provide on a football field, then that's when things like the time and injury become really, really hard. So as far as I can see, changing this culture and really, really um, pumping up the education and all those sorts of things can only be beneficial for everybody, the players themselves included.
1: Excellent, yeah. I mean, uh, I look at it from my personal experience. Mm -hmm. When you get a footballer alone, they're always top blokes. It's when you get 15 together – and they're mm. you know uh, egging each other on, and they seem to drop about forty IQ points the, the more <laughs> of them around each other. But that's the same as any young group of blokes. And
0: yes, yeah,
1: it's just this culture of like I don't know, wanting to be assholes or something <laughs> when you're in a group. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Not ever having been a young man, I don't understand it. But um, you, do, I've never heard it quite put quite that succinctly. But you're probably right. It is. Yeah, and they just spend so much time together. They work together. They play together. They often live together. There's got to be something to be said about, I don't know, do they get bored of just a normal, sensible conversation and sort of keep pushing the envelope? I'm not really sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't like to judge too much because I see it happen outside of football too. Uh, with the wags, though, the wags have got a, a reputation too. Now, the, you only ever see the insta-glamorous wags the or the, uh, you know – outlandish anti-vaxxer wag in the paper you don't see the intelligent author wag
0: <laughs> not nearly as often no and I'd be lying if I said that wasn't in my thoughts I really do want to change that narrative a little bit and there's a few reasons for that firstly because I found it hard because there's a you know certain expectations of you as a wag and for example I talk about the expectations that we're all kind of I think I put it as supermodel adjacent. It can really wreak havoc with your self-esteem when you meet people and, oh, this is Brian Hoffman, like so and you sort of want to say, oh, hi, sorry, I'm not better looking. You know, <laughs> you can sort of um, kind of get in your head a little bit that way. But also I like this idea of changing the narrative because there's few people who are quite so close to all the nuts and bolts of what goes on as we are and yet still have somewhat of an outsider perspective. So quite apart from... I found it hard living up to that stereotype. There's probably more that we can talk about that I like to think would be of interest to the rugby league community. And I don't know, I guess the book will answer that. That's sort of what I'm banking on is just saying, hang on, what about all these other topics that I can sort of shed some light on rather than just, you know, my handbag or my high heels, that sort of thing. So I, I really hope that can be the case.
1: Well, I mean, even the term wag is derogatory in my view. It's uh, wives and girlfriends, like, you know, just labelling you as an appendage. you know what I mean? like,
0: Yeah, it's funny. It's, I had been asked about that a little bit and I can see it from both sides. I appreciate that it's a very handy shortcut because it is. otherwise it's... Partners and wives of professional sports people, <laughs> wags is a lot neater, but it does have this really odd derogatory sort of tone to it. And then I make the point in the book that also when I'm called a wag, doesn't actually work as an acronym in the singular because then I'm a wife and girlfriend. And <laughs> yeah. as I put in the book, that's a completely different story, you know.
1: <laughs> well, I seem to remember it coming from the British tabloids about soccer wives. So I mean, yes. that's the origin of it. Good lord, well
0: that's what I've contended in my book that it was a that world cup that david beckham played in i feel like from my research that seems to be where the whole idea came from and was very much a british thing to begin with and then yeah it kind of found its way over the equator down here
1: now just one more thing about the behavior now i find that soccer players and afl players are just as susceptible to bad behavior as rugby league players but tend to get a pass due to the fervent following they have you know a lot of mm. uh, under the carpet work is done in those fields because they want to protect them obviously and there's a sort of a closed world but in rugby league everyone wants to attack rugby league all the time it feels like
0: yeah that's, that's interesting isn't it they're not a protected species and having never been within either afl or soccer i'm not exactly sure how that works and there's an argument i suppose that yeah this is a specifically rugby league thing, the specifically NRL thing. Um, I'm not sure why that is. I don't know whether it's because, you know, I find NRL, everybody in rugby league to be quite, usually quite down to earth and, Mm. you know, almost always self-depreciating. So uh, I don't know if that's part of it, but I think it's probably fair to say that these issues probably exist in all codes that are male dominated and, and have those sort of unusual working circumstances. So, I like to think about any action that we take to sort of correct it and do better could be useful across the board.
1: Well, I'd just like to make the point that it's like we're less insular up here because we've got AFL up here, got quite a big following, Union, which is another a minor thorn in our sides, and you know soccer as well. So it's like rugby league sort of out in the open. It's hunting season all the time for rugby league, whereas in Melbourne, AFL is it's just AFL, and they're just in their little bubble. And um, yeah. it's, I don't know, it seems a bit unfair that I think if you saw, if anyone cared about union, you'd see a lot more, you know, cocaine and uh, nudity <laughs> scandals, I'd say, and um, that no one does care, so.
0: Yeah, it does come with the territory. And I think that the argument that I make a little bit as well is if you have the privilege of being in the public eye, then you've probably got the responsibility to behave at a certain level as well. But like you say, that should go for across all codes. And that's that's a really interesting point. I hadn't really thought about the difference between the way that it's handled in different codes. That's interesting.
1: It just seems like we're the punching bag sometimes. I mean well deserved in on occasion. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well hopefully, you know, hopefully it's a bit of an underdog story in this space. If that is us, then we'll be more motivated to do something about it. And then perhaps we can become, it's very sort of fine, the sky thinking, but maybe we can become industry leaders in this space as a result of that, because we do have to go into this damage control on a semi-regular basis. So it could be the motivator we need to do something that probably needs to be done across the board anyway.
1: Well, we're already industry leaders in uh, boardroom feuds. If we can move them into player <laughs> behavior, that'd be great.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yep, yeah, exactly.
1: Now, how many children do you and Ryan have?
0: We've got two. We've got a son who's to turn eight and a daughter who's five.
1: Oh, beautiful. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how the traveling life of the professional athlete, you know, you've been to the New Zealand Warriors, you've been to the Wigan Warriors. How did that affect the family life?
0: Well, um We didn't have kids when we went to Wigan, so that was a totally different, amazing thing (laughs) because it was a really wonderful experience. Um, I do, it's nice that you asked that actually because I do talk about this idea of kids in the game in the book a little bit and the expectations on them, not only like you say, to cope without dad being around every second weekend and rep camps and you know the other camps and things that clubs do, and but also the expectation that they're there to support dad as well that was something I found really surprising and I've talked about a little bit in the book that there were times where I'd sort of drag them out to milestone games and, and this sort of thing and now I look back and I think oh I'm just so little maybe they should have just been in bed but on the one hand I look back and it was challenging having cough away so much but on the other hand I think as a family of four it made us a lot more resilient and there's you know, now I'm doing things with the book. Brian's still traveling with the club. We're coping with that probably because we had the privilege of going through it that way and becoming resilient as we went.
1: Yeah, excellent. Mm-hmm. It's great that he's still with the club too. It's, uh,
0: yeah, he's quite, yeah, he's very like most.
1: Melbourne Storm people, he's quite dedicated to the organization. <laughs> I'm so, so proud of the way they handled that franchise because it could have been a disaster. It could have been an Adelaide Rams situation, but uh, it's, <laughs> it turned out to be one of the greatest. Um, the funny thing yeah. is, like, Ryan's father, Jay Hoffman, was a Canberra Raiders Foundation player my team, and he's a, a second-generation player. Yeah. So he would have experienced that sort of pressure coming through the juniors as well. I, I wonder if your boy is going to experience the same thing.
0: As in that people have expectations of him because of who his dad is. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I, um, I felt that actually a lot when he only managed one season of junior rugby league before the pandemic kicked in in earnest. But as a mum, I was really worried for him. And actually that process of him signing up for junior rugby league was the catalyst for this book to be written because it sort of awoke quite a lot of concerns. Well, not concerns, but We went to sign him up on the day, on the registration day, and I hadn't really thought much about it. I just thought it's like any kids activity, we'll just go and do it. But as they were sort of telling me what the commitments would be and everything, I suddenly just felt deja vu. Like I'm just, this is going to be my life. Ryan's done this. Now Zach's doing this. And it was at that moment and it was, I had a bit of a tantrum. (laughs) I'm not going to (laughs) lie. And it was, it was that moment really that forced me to reflect on. Everything that had happened in Ryan's career because the prospect of Zach even setting foot on a rugby league field as an under-sixes player just once was enough to sort of force that reckoning a little bit.
1: Well, that makes you a wham, a wife and mother of a player.
0: (laughs) No, I've never heard that one. That's a good (laughs) one. I like it.
1: Um, so when you went to Wigan, like how is the north of England? I mean, we're talking about a very, very uh, insular part of the world. I love it up there. And yes. they love their rugby league and that small little enclave. How were the fans to you guys?
0: It was the best. That year was a real highlight for both of us that we spent in Wigan. And the fans made it so because I, when we signed with the Wigan Warriors, I was still chasing my tail trying to work out the NRL. I wasn't even – I was aware there was a competition in the UK, but I wasn't across it at all. Ryan being the ultimate rugby league super nerd, he knew everything and wasn't being super helpful in kind of warning me about what it was all going to be like because <laughs> he was just so excited and so carried away. And um, so I wondered – all I knew was that Wigan in particular was a rugby league town, and I wondered – what the supporter base would be like and what that would mean for us. And almost from the minute we got there, I just realized that these people are some of the most down-to-earth people you'll ever met. And I talk about this in the book. I was so delighted to find that. It wasn't like, oh, my God, there's Ryan Hoffman. It's it's more like a little old lady in Tesco saying, right, Ryan Hoffman, you've got Warrington this weekend. I want you to do X, Y, Z. Like There was much more of this idea of service rather than celebrity and i just adored it i loved it
1: yeah that's a awesome story (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, but just their accents is just so uh charming i love it
0: it was indecipherable to me to begin with and then it was funny (laughs) when our families would come and visit and we'd have to just for the first day just sort of translate a little bit and then it just takes that minute it's so charming i I loved it
1: (laughs) yeah it's one of the great experiences but we should mention that Ryan took that Wigan job as a favourite of a Storm after the salary cap scandal, right? So that's a real man's man thing to do.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah it, was, um, it came at a funny time because obviously the club needed to shed players from the roster. I'm not sure we would have entertained it at that point in Ryan's career otherwise. But by the end of that year, because it was obviously a really tough year, it was really good timing to get away from the NRL. And we were lucky that it didn't sell the end of top NRL career, but it was very well-timed in that regard.
1: Well, he was at the peak of his powers and it could have been seen as, a uh, you know, I'm giving up my rep jerseys, I'll never get them back. Thank God he did, but
0: yes, it's a very yes. selfless act, I feel. Yeah, that was the main consideration, actually. We both really wanted to go and have an adventure. We didn't have kids, so it wasn't a huge logistical move for us, and I think, so that was 2010. By then he had dropped out of the New South Wales side and he was really, really keen to get back into it. And it was almost the straw that broke the camel's back as far as deciding not to go. But in the end, it was more of a perspective thing. We'd actually decided not to go. And then we had a chat with Ryan's dad, Jay. He's fabulous. And so oh, you guys will do what's right for you. And he just sort of paused and said, I would have given anything though to do that in my day. And we both literally looked at each other and went what are we doing like let's step back and think when this is all said and done will we regret that we may or may not have jeopardized getting that rep jersey back or will we regret that we didn't go and have this amazing life experience and we're both very much as the view that we made the right decision in the end
1: yeah fantastic uh and, and not only the adventure to england you come back and went to the warriors as well i mean I'm a Warriors booster, they're always my second team, you know, and I want to see him do well. And when he was there, him and Mannering together in the back row, that was a really good team.
0: Yeah, that was, that was a completely different move for us because by then we'd had Zach, so we were, there was a little bit more baggage that we had to take over there. And he never, I don't think he ever really intended on leaving the Storm for another NRL team, but it just... Worked because they needed someone, and Hoff knew that he had quite a bit more to give, and they were prepared to have him for the three years. So it was, I'll be honest, I had no interest in going. Zach was just one, and I was terrified of leaving my family network. Um, yeah. We didn't know a soul in Auckland. And move. yeah, huge. And we were intending on having, you know, at least one more child, which we ended up doing over there. But When I got there, I was sort of mad at myself for not really giving it the consideration that it was due because it's just a beautiful place with a bunch of beautiful people. And again, it's one of those things that you look back on and go, wow, I can't believe we nearly didn't do that.
1: (laughs) Um, But the accent's got to be a dampener.
0: (laughs) I don't know. Honestly, and I've written this in the book, I found... New Zealanders to be the friendliest people ever so now when I hear a New Zealand accent I just automatically assume that you must be a super nice person because that was my experience over there
1: yeah I mean that was a great career move because you know he was a leader there and would he get 300 games over there at that point that was
0: yes yeah that was a highlight definitely yeah that happened over there and he did he got an opportunity to captain an NRL side which neither of us ever thought would happen so again it's funny how life works you think that you don't want to do these things but I do based on my own experience of how hard it was to convince me to go over there it made me really feel for the Warriors because I know they have a whole country of local talent but I know from first-hand experience how hard it is to entice players to there just because of the distance and because of these human issues of like people you know women not wanting to move away from their families at this sort of stage of family life and so it made me really appreciate what the Warriors are doing and um, it gave me sort of an understanding of their performance from that point of view I suppose and obviously now with them being based in New South Wales it just the respect is even even higher because um, yeah, I'm not sure how they're all doing that really.
1: Well the, the, the running joke uh, on the rugby league digest with michael and i is that the first club to employ a mrs consultant is going to win 10 premierships because like the, basically the joke is that the women control the the ball sort of thing you know i'm <laughs> I go back to north queensland but when you've got family when you've got young kids it's ridiculously hard you want to have your sister and your mom and, your, and whatever
0: yeah exactly and i think that's definitely a big part of why i felt so strongly about writing the book as well is because you often talk about like opportunities and how a player is going to slot into a roster and money is often mentioned and that sort of thing but I just would love there to be more talk about there's a little bit but I'd love there to be more talk about well they just couldn't do it because of this or they just had to leave because of that and I think that's really important to acknowledge particularly yeah for clubs like Cowboys and Warriors and all the satellite clubs
1: yeah absolutely Back to the uh, the storm days. Now, that salary cap scandal, was Ryan embroiled in that? I can't even remember.
0: He was there. Um, yeah, it was awful. It was such a shame because it came after four years of success, which is, you know, in the end found to be part of the problem. But I was always really concerned for Ryan being at the club at the time. You know, initially you worry about the day-to-day things like we never worried about having done anything wrong because we know we didn't. You know, there was never any complicity in anything from a player point of view. And I think that was backed up by all the reporting that went on afterwards. But after we sort of stopped worrying about, like, you know, what's going to happen to the club? Do we need to leave? Are our friends leaving? All those things. For me, it was more about COP's legacy because... I felt at the time like he'd done a really good job of building a reputation as one of the good guys and yeah. you know, which is important just from a human being point of view, but also from the continuing on in the industry. Once you're not a player anymore, you kind of need maybe like a degree and maybe an element of that credibility of being a good person and and I was just really worried that being bound up in that would affect that side of his legacy. I'm pleased that, you know, common sense seems to have prevailed and, and the truth kind of got out there in the end but at the time it was definitely the most stressful thing that I'd probably ever been through.
1: Yeah amazing. Well, How Mm. was Brian Waldron to deal with?
0: Um, I didn't have a lot to do with him. I remember feeling like he was always quite charismatic the word I suppose very Mm. you know a really big personality and I think he came from AFL so there was just sort of credibility as a Melburnian like he's going to really take this club to commercial success because he knows this market and, and that sort of thing. But um, face-to-face, I didn't really have a lot to do with him.
1: There's the problem right there. It came from AFL.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's say that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I mean, uh, my club, the Canberra Raiders, had salary cap scandals in the early days in their super teams of the you know, 1990 era. And they won a comp and they had to shed players and everything. No one badmouths them. They just talk about the great teams. And I think it's a bit unfair that the comps have been taken off. I mean, what's done is done. You know, they won the comps. Yeah. I think it's quite silly to have these asterisks next to them. But uh, and people are still, you know, especially on Twitter, which is just a cesspool, <laughs> always, you know, bringing it up. But it's like Canberra did it too, and no one mm. says boo about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think yeah, that retroactive sort of changing of things, I think is probably one of the things that everybody found hardest to get their head around because, and for me, I was there on the night that we won those grand finals and you can't change your memories and you can't change the way that you felt about them. So that was hard. But on the other hand, with a bit of distance and a bit of perspective now, I can understand how frustrating it must have felt for supporters of other teams and that sort of thing. It's a really tricky one. I know there's, yeah, like you say, on Twitter, there's still a lot of angst. And, you know, I guess the players probably still come up against that sort of cheat sort of message every now and again. But
1: um Well, my point is, like, everyone knows a lot of other clubs were doing similar things. And it's like... I don't know uh, punishment for sure. You know, take some salary cap for the next five years or something like that. But don't ruin the legacy of the comps is my point. But yeah, I know there'll be a lot of uh, opposition to this comment. So (laughs)
0: it's a brave one. Yep, definitely,
1: (laughs) definitely. I'm so fascinated to read the book. Uh, A wham and a wags perspective. Now, there's certain wags I know about just through scurrilous rumors and stuff like that, like Barb Smith. I shouldn't know about Barb Smith, but I do. I mean, Mm -hmm. what do you think when people are thrust into the spotlight against their wishes?
0: I I think it's hugely unfair in some ways. You know, in my case, and I can't speak for Barb, but I met Hoff when I was 19 and had no idea, personally had no idea. The extent of rugby league, you know, north of the Murray. Even if I did, I'd have no idea that he would go on to play. I'd have to be clairvoyant to know that he would go Mm. on to play for New South Wales and Australia for sixteen years and blah blah blah. And so, when people say, "Well, you knew what you were getting yourself into," no, absolutely not. Not only did I not know because I can't see into the future, but I didn't know because I don't know about rugby league. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that Cam and Barb met really young as well, so. Like I say, I can't speak for her, but the same could be said to her. And I think there's a moment where you decide whether you're going to allow yourself to be a public person or not. And if there's a person who's never made any moves or any intentions to make their life public, then I think it's not fair to try to do that. Um, Yeah, and I'm aware now and having written this book, I can never play that card ever again. And that was something that I thought quite deeply about, but I just thought it was worth doing anyway. But it's nice that you say that because I think as a player it's different because you I assume all players aspire to be the very best that they can be and the peak of the game, but for partners, um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that. You know, you know what you were getting yourself into sentiment because it dehumanises us. And also you can't help who you fall in love with as well. So even if I did have an inkling that Ryan or whoever would go on to have a profile what are you supposed to do about it once you fall into somebody? To put it in very kind of sappy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree 100%. It's like if you're on Instagram with collagen and your boobs hanging out every day, you want attention. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Attention's yours. But if you're a private person and then you're thrust into it, I think it's grossly unfair. Yep.
0: Yep. I totally agree. Yeah. And I think people would appreciate hearing that.
1: So you are going to be one of the, uh, the first well-known intellectual wags, which is good. There's plenty of them. <laughs>
0: Definitely. (laughs) I mean, there are definitely plenty, yeah.
1: So what's your background with writing? Have you had other writing pursuits or is this the debut?
0: Um, Apart from the the blog posts and uh, occasional newspaper articles, um, and I wrote a blog for The Storm for a little while um, back in the late sort of around 2011, Mm -hmm. um, this is the first thing I've really done. The only background I really have is that it was always a hobby and it's always been the way that I've expressed myself. So. I did a little bit of study once I realised that I really loved it and that I might like to make a go of it, but this is definitely the first big thing that I've done.
1: That's fantastic. Well I hope there's many more to come. Now, oh thank you. The book, full credit to the boys, where can they get it? Is uh, we're talking Amazon here? We got a Kindle version or is it all a hard copy?
0: There are e book versions. Booktopia is probably online for that, the best place. And then Vimics, the Big GBD in Victoria in Melbourne, um, and Collins and local independent booksellers.
1: I'm a Kindle guy because I don't like lugging around all the different books, but a lot of our listeners are uh, old school League fans, and they'll go to the paper, I think. But uh, if they're both available, it's great news. I'll get the Kindle. Yes. Excellent.
0: Thank you. Thanks very much. <laughs> Hope you like it.
1: I want everyone to read this because I really think it's an underrepresented viewpoint. You got the narrative shoved on you as a WAG, and it's, uh, it's your chance to shine a light on the actual truth of the matter, which is great.
0: Thank you. That's exactly what I'm going for, so I really appreciate you saying
1: that. Oh, my pleasure. Well, thank you for appearing, uh, Melissa Hoffman. Mel Hoff, as, you, <laughs> as you're known as <laughs> <at the> Tom. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, we well, hope to speak to you again soon.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. Wonderful.